Well, once again, let's take our Bibles and let's turn to Psalm 23. I do want to encourage you to take a Bible as we look at this familiar passage once again this morning and come to the very last statement in Psalm 23, Psalm 23 at the very end of verse 6, and we'll get there and read it in just a moment. You may remember that when Jesus concludes his most famous sermon, that's what's called the Sermon on the Mount, he concludes with a word picture. He says this, he says, enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. Now, that is certainly an invitation. It's really more of a command when he says, enter by the narrow gate. Jesus is calling those who have heard that message to respond to the message. This is why that's so important for us as a church. We believe that every message should end with a call to respond. And so Jesus says that. He says, listen, enter by the narrow gate. The reason it's a narrow gate is because Jesus is the only way in. So Jesus is saying, come to me, follow me, trust me, give your life to me. But as you read on that word picture, you're reminded that it's not only an invitation, it's actually a reminder of an incredibly significant, eternal truth. And that is this, that your pathway determines your destination. Your pathway determines your destination. Every one of us, right now, every one of us is on a path. We are walking in a certain direction, whether thoughtfully and consciously, or rather ignorantly, all of us are walking a path. And that pathway inevitably will end in a destination. We are on a pathway that is leading somewhere. Psalm 23 is about a pathway. This is why verse three describes it as the path of righteousness. That's what Psalm 23 is. Psalm 23 is a realistic picture of what it looks like to trust and follow Jesus. It is about the pathway of righteousness. And because it's about a pathway, And because it's explaining to us what it looks like moment by moment and day by day to follow Jesus, it only makes sense that it would end in a destination because every pathway is leading to a destination. So it is that this chapter describing for us a pathway ends with where this pathway is taking us. Now let's look at it together as I read Psalm 23 in its entirety. Look look at your Bibles. It says this. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the path of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. And here it is. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Now, it reminds us as this begins in Psalm 23 that our pathway begins with a choice. It begins with a decision. 
David begins by saying, the Lord is my shepherd. That means that David, to put it in the words of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, has chosen the narrow gate. David has made a decision to enter in to a relationship with the Lord. And we read this as New Testament believers, knowing from John 10 that Jesus is the good shepherd. And David is writing this to point us to what it looks like to have a relationship with Jesus, that it must begin by making a decision to enter into a relationship with Jesus Christ. And that phrase right there, the Lord is my shepherd, tells us a lot about entering into that relationship. One of the things that I find helpful when it comes to a little phrase like that is to say it different ways and putting emphasis on different words. You could say, the Lord is my shepherd. It is a statement right there that David has entered into a relationship with the Lord. So we read that and we talk about Jesus Christ as the great shepherd. This is a reminder that Jesus is the only door. He is the only way. And every one of us must enter into a relationship with him. We must make a decision about Jesus. The Lord is my shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. David reminds us this is a personal decision. No one else can make this decision for you. You must make a personal decision. Will you choose to trust and follow Jesus or will you ignore or reject Jesus? The Lord is my shepherd. But then you could say it this way. The Lord is my shepherd. Meaning that this decision that you make about Jesus Christ, this personal decision is a decision to allow the Lord to lead, to allow the Lord to be the boss, to allow the Lord to be the king and ruler of your life. Essentially, that really is what it means to be a Christian. It means to trust that Jesus is the only way, to trust that Jesus lived a perfect life, he died a criminal's death so that he might take upon himself the penalty for our sins, and he might die on our behalf, rescuing us from hell, making it possible for us to have eternal life. That is the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. But every one of us must make a decision on what we will do with the Lord, a personal decision. The Lord is my shepherd, and David has made a choice like every one of us must. Now, David made a conscious choice. He made a decision, I'm gonna choose to make the Lord my shepherd. I'm gonna choose to follow the Lord. He is going to be the leader of my life. My life is going to be consumed with the Lord. Now, many people don't make a conscious choice. They just kind of live life. You know people like this. You may be one of those people. They just live life. They're not thinking about Jesus. They have had passing or fleeting thoughts about Jesus, but they've never come to a moment where they've made a decision either to accept or reject Jesus. But the truth is, no matter whether you've made a conscious decision or not, you have made a decision. You are walking a path. And making a decision to not follow Jesus is still making a decision about Jesus, whether you've been thoughtful about it or not. And this is a reminder that to ignore Jesus or to reject Jesus is to still make a decision about a pathway. And the pathway you're on, no matter what it is, is leading you to a certain destination. The choice or lack of choice has consequences. 
You can't ignore the fact that you are on a pathway and that pathway is leading to a certain destination and it begins with this kind of choice. But it ends by reminding us that that choice you make about a pathway will determine your destination. So David makes a decision. He makes a decision to trust and follow the Lord. He says, Lord, I am going to personally decide to make you the king and the Lord of my life. And then all through Psalm 23, we see him walking through life with the Lord as his shepherd. He's chosen a pathway. And that pathway ends with I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I love everything about that phrase. I love David's confidence. I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. There is a confidence knowing, based upon the truth of scripture, that if I chose this path, I will end in this destination. If I choose the narrow gate, I will end in life. I shall dwell, I shall remain, I shall live in the house of the Lord forever. That this is a decision that has eternal consequences. Now, we are not in the habit of of stopping very often just to think deeply about the things of the Lord. Particularly now that we have an attention span that may be shorter uh, than it used to be because of the way in which we take in media. But the reality is, is this is a moment that demands some meditation. Forever. Forever. Let that sink in. Forever. That the path you choose is leading you into a destination forever. And once you are there, there is no turning back. There's no choosing a path later. You you, you have to choose the path now, and that pathway is determining where you will be, listen, forever. What a sobering and humble thought that our life on earth, our 60, 70, 80, 90, 100 years is a blip in light of forever that we will be somewhere forever. David says that where he will be forever because he has chosen to follow the Lord is the house of the Lord. Now, what is that? What is that destination? I mean, it's not really motivating to be there if we don't know what it is. What does David mean when he says the house of the Lord? Well, this is a phrase that's used all throughout scripture and frankly is used to mean a number of different things. In the Old Testament, it's primarily a phrase that refers to a specific place of worship, a place where the people of God gather, whether it be a tent, whether it be a tabernacle, whether it be a temple, it is the place where the people of God come to worship. This is why David in Psalm 122 says this, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. David was ready to go to church. He was ready to be with the people of God. He was ready to be in the presence of the Lord. The Lord. He was ready to worship and sing and clap and to raise his hands. Just like I feel like now, I am ready to be back together. I will be glad when they say unto us, let's get back into the house of the Lord. David was longing for that. And he says in Psalm 84, a passage that is entirely about the house of the Lord, he says, better is one day in your house than a thousand elsewhere. I'd rather be in church one day with the people of God worshiping the Lord than have a thousand days somewhere else. He says, I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of the Lord 
than dwell in the tents of the righteous. David wants to be at church. And so it is that throughout the Old Testament, this idea of the house of the Lord often refers to a place of worship. Now, in the New Testament, it can also refer to that. Think about John chapter two, when Jesus walks into the temple and he sees people buying and selling, he overthrows the tables and he says, you have made my father's house into a den of thieves. He refers to that place as his father's house. But you read further into the New Testament, places like Hebrews chapter three, and it talks about the house of the Lord being believers, that we are the house of the Lord. And then you read passages like 1 Peter chapter two where it says the church of Jesus Christ, the people of God are being built into a house of the Lord. 2 Corinthians four says that we have a home in heaven reserved for us. So if you take all of that together, well, the New Testament talks about the house of the Lord as a place. It also talks about it as a people. It also talks about it as a future. You could say, I'm ready to get to the house of the Lord, which is coming to church. You could also say that we are the house of the Lord because the very presence of God has come to live inside of us. Or you could say, I'm ready to go to the house of the Lord, meaning eternity. But if you take all of those references, Old Testament, New Testament together, there's one thing they all have in common. The house of the Lord is always a reference to the presence of the Lord. The house of the Lord is where the Lord's presence is. So in Eden, at the beginning, that's the house of the Lord. That is where the presence of God is. In the new heavens and the new earth, that's the house of the Lord. That's where the presence of God is. When we come to church and God is in our midst, that's the house of the Lord. And you, as a believer, you are the house of the Lord. You are a temple of the Lord. Why? Because the very presence of God by his spirit is living inside of you because you're a believer in Jesus Christ. It is always a reference to the presence of the Lord. So what David is saying is this, I'm confident that I will be in the presence of the Lord, dwelling, living, existing, alive in the presence of the Lord forever. Now, there are a thousand things to say about that. What an unbelievable thought that David knows that his pathway is going to end in a destination. He knows what the destination is and he is confident that he will be there without any reservation, without any hesitation, based upon his decision in verse one and based upon the fact that it is the Lord who is shepherding him, he comes to the end and says, at some point my life will end. And I know that I will dwell forever in the presence of the Lord. Now, even though there are a thousand things we could say about that phrase, there's really two truths that I want to make sure we grab a hold of before we leave this text. Two truths about dwelling in the house of the Lord that I wanna make sure we get. The first one is this. I wanna make sure we understand that the path of righteousness ends with a new beginning. The path of righteousness ends with a new beginning. This pathway with all of its troubles and all of its trials and all of its temptations and all of its difficulties and all of its pain and all of its suffering, the inevitable aspect of living life in a broken world, even life with Jesus, with all of its pain and struggle and suffering, with all of its heartache, with all of its emotional and physical, spiritual struggles will one day end. 
That's why at the beginning of verse six, it says, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. God, as we talked about last week, and his loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life, but there will be an end to the days of my earthly life. The Bible tells us that once we depart from this life, we as believers enter into the presence of the Lord immediately. So the end of this life, where it says in the middle of verse six, all the days of my life, is actually the start of a new beginning. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Those who know Jesus Christ can have the confidence that the end of their earthly life is the beginning of a better life. That's an incredible truth, that the end of your earthly life is the beginning of a better life. Paul talks a lot about this. One of the most famous passages is that in Philippians chapter one, verses 21 and 23, where he says this, to live as Christ and to die, you know it, is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet, which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard pressed between the two. He loves the Philippian believers. He goes, if I stay and live here, that's good because that means more fruitful labor. But if I die, that's gain for me. And he says this, my desire is to depart and be with Christ for that is far better. What an amazing thought. He says to die is is gain. That dying and receiving that eternal life is far better. And he loves life. He's not disenchanted with life. He just says that he's torn because he loves the Philippians. He wants to be with them. He longs to see them again. He loves to minister. He loves to be used by the Lord. He has a fruitful ministry and wants to continue. Yet, he knows that what awaits him on the other side of this earthly life is a new beginning and a much better life for that is far better. And the only way to get into that better life, the only way into that new beginning is the ending of this life. We have to die to get that. Certainly the moment that we enter into a relationship with Jesus Christ, we begin to experience eternal life. The very life of God is put in us. But yet it's just a taste and we long for something more. And so Paul understood this in a biblical sense. He understood that dying is actually gain because what you get in death is better than anything you ever had in life. Your greatest days on earth pale in comparison to a normal day in eternity. There is something better. To die is gain. And so Psalm 23 doesn't end in a morbid sense. It ends with a celebration. It ends, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever, that forever and ever and ever, I'm going to get to dwell in the presence of the Lord. It is hopeful. It is confident. It is encouraging that as I begin this pathway with Jesus, I can be confident that I will end with Jesus and be with him forever and ever and ever because our pathway ends with a new beginning. This is really incredible news. It is so easy to get consumed with this life and consumed with this world to act as if there is nothing more than this, that this is it. And if we view everything as this and this is it, 
We will unquestionably find ourselves deeply discouraged. But if we live with the awareness that all I'm doing in this life is preparing for the next, and this is a blip compared to the forever, and the forever is the fullness of joy and the fullness of the presence of God. And it is life as God intended for it to be from the very beginning, no longer marred and disturbed by sin, but life as it was meant to be, then we can find incredible hope in this moment knowing that it's just preparing us for the next. Because the end of this pathway is a new beginning and a new life. So be confident, be hopeful, be encouraged, and make sure you're on the path that leads to that new beginning. David says, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I keep thinking about Matthew 16, 25, where Jesus says, whoever would save his life is going to lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. What an important truth that if you choose to hold on to your life and not submit to Jesus, you're gonna lose everything. But if you will make a decision to surrender your life to the authority of Jesus Christ, to say, Lord, I want you to be my shepherd, meaning you're gonna call the shots, you're gonna be the boss, I'm gonna be consumed with you, then you end up gaining life. It seems odd, but it's exactly the way the kingdom works. When you choose to lose your life for Jesus' sake, you're actually exchanging your life for his life and his life lasts forever. And so it is that David is saying that I know that the end of this earthly life, I'm going to dwell in the presence of the Lord forever. It will be a new beginning. There is so much more to my life and my existence than this moment. I have an eternity waiting for me, filled with joy in his presence. The end of this pathway ends in a new beginning. But the second truth is this. Our God-saturated life leads to a God-saturated eternity. I wanna make sure you get that. Our God-saturated life, the path of righteousness, ends in a God-saturated eternity in the house of the Lord forever. Now, I have been reading, thinking, praying over Psalm 23 for about three months now, not thinking about all the times I've studied in the past. Just for this moment, I have just consumed myself with Psalm 23. And the more I read it and the more I think about it, the more I see that this life that God is calling us to is God-saturated. That the decision that we make when we come to Christ is to say, Jesus, I am asking you to be the center of my life. You're my everything. So every decision is gonna be formed by you. The way I think, the way I act, the way I respond will all be conformed to you. I am existing to follow you, to be conformed into your image, to allow you to do the leading. So now I'm no longer just an isolated man doing my own thing. No, I am constantly going back to the Lord and I'm saying, Lord, what do you want and where are you leading This life that God has called us to that begins with a decision, will you make Jesus your shepherd, is a God-saturated life. What I'm also discovering is this, and you see this by the way that Psalm 23 kind of flows, is that the more you surrender to Jesus Christ, the more you choose to die to yourself, the more you come to experience the life of Jesus. 
there may be no principle in the Christian life more important than this one. Every single time you say no to self, no to sin, and say yes to Jesus, you actually experience more life. That it is through death that you experience life. Jesus showed us that, and so it is that is the normal habit of our life. We enter into the gospel by dying to self and experiencing the life of Jesus. Listen to how this works. Every time you die to self, you experience more of his life. Every time that you choose to to read the Bible and to pursue intimacy with Jesus, the more you come to know his goodness. The more you go after him, the more you long for him. The more you study of him and think of him, the more you love him. That as we feed this relationship with the Lord, we start longing for more and more of the Lord. Every time you come to know him more intimately and you give yourself to him more sacrificially, the more you come to taste of the goodness of the Lord. This is why even when we don't feel like it, we still open up the word of God and we enter in. I talked to someone this week that was grieving over a loss and my simple encouragement was this. You are not going to feel like at times coming to the Lord. You're gonna have all kinds of emotions And you may not feel at all like getting up in the morning or going to bed at night and reading this Bible, but I assure you, the more you just choose, apart from how you feel, to enter into this book and to seek the Lord, the more you will come to taste of his goodness. So think about how this works. You pursue the Lord, you walk with him, you pursue intimacy with him day after day, and the more you do, the more you love him, and the more you like him, and the more you wanna be with him, and the more you start to realize that the best things in this life are no good at all compared to just intimacy with Jesus Christ. And then, once you have cultivated that kind of love and desire and longing for Jesus, what awaits you is an eternity which is more of that and the fullness of that. Why is it that Paul couldn't wait to get to heaven? Why is it that David couldn't wait to get to heaven? Here's the reason. Because they tasted of the Lord on earth. They saw a little bit of his goodness. They experienced a little bit of the pleasure of the Lord. They got a taste in corporate worship. They got a taste in personal intimacy of what it's like to be with Jesus. And once they got a taste, all they wanted was more. And then they have this hope that on the other side of death is the fullness of everything they had ever wanted. You see, the longer you walk with Jesus, the more you welcome the end of this life because you long for the next, because you've just gotten a little taste of what it's like to walk in the presence of the Lord. One of the things that has always baffled me as a pastor, and I've had these conversations countless times, of people who want to go to heaven, they're confident that they're going to heaven, but they don't like Jesus that much. Or people who think they're going to heaven and want to go to heaven, but they don't like coming to church. They don't enjoy the gathering of the believers. They, they don't enjoy the corporate worship. Let me just tell you something. If you don't love to be with Jesus, and if you don't long for Jesus, and if you don't love being with the people of God in corporate worship, you're not going to like heaven. Because that's what it is. 
But for those of you who have come to a worship gathering and you've tasted what it's like to be captured by a fresh vision of the Lord Jesus Christ, to hear his word preached with power and to sing songs that exalt Jesus Christ and that stir your affections, you can't wait to get more of that. So sometimes, even when we don't feel like it, we just gotta keep pursuing the Lord because we know this, this God-saturated life in which we're constantly going back to the Lord ends in a God-saturated eternity. And so that's why David, much like Jesus will do later, ends his sermon with a destination. He starts with a decision I've chosen to make the Lord my shepherd and ends by saying this, because of that, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Which means this, you must make a wise decision. You must evaluate the path in which you're walking knowing that it is not insignificant because that pathway that you're walking right now is leading you to a destination. And if it is the path of righteousness, is leading you to eternal life. If it is not the path of righteousness, it is leading to, as Jesus says, eternal, forever destruction apart from the presence of God. The only reason there is any goodness in this life is because God has graced us with little glimpses of his presence. Hell is the absence of all of that kind of good presence of God. It is an eternity forever without any of his goodness and kindness and grace. We evaluate our path. And then for those of us who know the Lord, we rest and the confidence, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And it's not because you're a good sheep. It's because he's a good shepherd. It's because he said, he who began a good work in you will complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. God has promised that if you have chosen to follow him, he will lead you safely home. Church, rest in the confidence that he is a good shepherd who has saved you, who is leading you, and who will, by his grace, take you safely home. That's really good news, and I hope it encourages you this morning. Let's pray together.